At FBC Salinas, we have one message, which is to love God and to love people. We have one purpose, which is to go and make disciples, or as Adam talked about last week, our one purpose really is our game plan. And this morning, we get to talk about our one response. It's a response that involves every knee bowing and every tongue confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. We get to unpack what that one response looks like in our lives today. And when we talk about response, it means that something has happened and we are responding to that. Response is active. Response is never passive. And I want to sort of show that by, by looking at a few pictures that are going to pop up on the screen. The reaction to this, the response. Ouch. That is serious ouch right there. This person hurts big time. Your response to this, one of all and wonder. Your response to this. There we go. Whoever said, nope, I'm in your camp. Don and I had been married for about two weeks, and there was a spider in the bathtub. I saw it, and I screamed like a junior high girl and ran. Don came in, looked at it, stomped it, and said, grow up. That's all there is to it. All right? I hate spiders. All right? I hate spiders. We go to the next one. How can you not sit there and be excited for these children as whatever they've accomplished on that computer, they are overjoyed with that. There is great joy there. And one last one. There's the response. So this is Gabriella Renee Marufo, my granddaughter. And, uh, and I got to tell you, she's gorgeous. That's all there is to it. But when we see pictures, when we see things like this, there is a response. And as we respond to these pictures, and as we consider what's going on in these pictures, it leads me to this place. We respond to these images. How do we respond to the one who lived, went to a cross, and rose from the dead? That requires a response. That requires a response that, that should stir everything about us. It should penetrate into every, every nook and cranny in our lives, and it should cause our attitude to be adjusted all the time. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, and if, and if you're looking in the Bibles that are in the rack in front of you, it's on page 980. And we're going to look at this passage starting at verse 5. Paul writes these words, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Father, we pray now as we come into this time of looking at your word, we would ask by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would open our eyes that we can see 
the magnificence of who you are. That you would open our ears that we could hear and understand more fully how magnificent and worship-deserving you are. That you would open our minds in such a way that we would put aside our limited thinking and allow you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, to expand our understanding of how much greater you are than our greatest thought. And that you would open our hearts, that we would be transformed into understanding and and living out a life of worship that involves every last ounce of who we are. Lord Jesus, may no one hear anything that I say, but may it be only what it is that you want them to hear and need them to hear. And may you, Lord Jesus, receive all glory. We love you. And it's in your name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. This passage we just read deserves to be completely underlined, highlighted, emphasized in your Bibles. I don't know if you mark your Bible or not or, or highlight it or not, but, but you have my permission to do that, not that you're going to ask for my permission. But this passage is one of the richest passages in all of Scripture that talks about the significance of Jesus Christ. And as we talk about one response, we talk about this need to understand that we're responding to Him. We're responding to how great He is. We're responding to all that He's done. This idea of bowing the knee and, and confessing with the tongue that Jesus Christ is Lord is not a passive activity. Worship is not a passive activity. Worship is a verb. It's a verb. And we start by talking about this. We respond. We respond because that's what we have to do. Paul and all the other Bible writers did not write what they wrote so people could simply gain information and remain unmoved. As one reads through the Bible, you come to this conclusion that the writers of the Bible, inspired by the Holy Spirit, had an expectancy and anticipation that people will respond. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John wrote their perspective gospels not to say, wow, isn't this neat what we witnessed? but it was to have people respond by placing their hope and trust and their lives in the one who is Jesus Christ and to worship him. Each of the Bible writers themselves responded to how great God was, to how magnificent he was, and and sometimes the responses catch us off guard, but they all had a response. And in the process of them having a response, It's almost as if they say, how could you not respond? Flip a few pages, actually a number of pages back to the left. Go to Ezekiel chapter 3 and and we get to see a response that, that frankly is somewhat unexpected. And we pick it up in verse 10 and listen to this. And the Lord said to me, son of man, listen carefully. And take to heart all the words that I speak to you. Go now to your people in exile and speak to them. Say to them, this is what sovereign Yahweh says, whether they listen or fail to listen. Then the Spirit lifted me up and I heard behind me a loud rumbling sound as the glory of Yahweh rose from the place where it was standing. 
It was the sound of the wings of the living creatures brushing against each other and the sound of the wheels beside them, a loud rumbling sound. The Spirit then lifted me up and took me away, and I went in bitterness and the anger of my spirit with the strong hand of Yahweh on me. And listen to how he responded. I came to the exiles who lived at Tel Aviv near the Kabar River, and there where they were living, I sat among them for seven days, simply overwhelmed. Ezekiel was so struck by who God was and this message that God had laid on his heart to share. For seven days, he was overwhelmed. It was that magnificent. And so it leads me to ask you a few questions. When was the last time, when was the last time you were truly overwhelmed by the Lord that your worship response was one of being entirely overwhelmed? Where you were struck by how magnificent he was. If you're like me, at times, it seems like it's been a long time since that happened. And perhaps the reason why we've not been overwhelmed by how magnificent God is and so wrapped up in who he is and and all that he is about, perhaps it's because God has become simply another person that we schedule in our lives that we say we'll give you a few minutes here and there but other than that we just need you to keep your distance Ezekiel was overwhelmed Paul was overwhelmed all the Bible writers were overwhelmed and it's a response of overwhelmness because they could not believe how magnificent God is and how great he is. And as we respond by confessing with our mouth and bending the knee that Jesus Christ is Lord, it's our response because it's overwhelming. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. One of the ways that we show that is through responding. Another way that we show that is by exemplifying him in the way we live our lives. Back to the passage. Notice verse 5. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. In your relationships with one another, I find it fascinating that Paul goes to this area and he says, right here in your relationships is a place where you can worship. Right here in the way that you you live your lives with one another, you can exemplify the Lord and worship in the process of caring for one another. The way we conduct our lives is to be an act of worship. As Christ followers, we should conduct our lives so significantly different, so distinctly differently than the world conducts its relationships. We don't look to get something from someone. We look to get involved in their lives and care for them. By exemplifying Jesus Christ, and that's what Paul says. He says, in your relationships with one another, base it on how Jesus Christ relates to others. And in the process of doing that, worship happens. We believe in the importance of relationships here. We believe in community. Adam talked about that as we were taking the offering. We believe it's significant. 
so significant that in the coming weeks, you're going to hear more and more about our life group ministry. Some of you have come up to me and said, hey, Rob, who was overseeing those ministries and now has moved and and is serving at a great church in, in Washington State, he was overseeing that ministry. What are we going to do about our life group ministry? Well, over the course of the past number of months, the leadership of the elders and myself have been praying, God, where are you leading us with this life group ministry? We understand its significance. We understand how vital it is for us to exemplify Jesus Christ in our relationships. Where are you leading us? And as we've prayed about this and we've asked God for his wisdom and his insight, we've come to understand that life groups are important here. And we also have un- uh, come to understand that 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 we need somebody to be that point person again, just as Rob was. And so I sat down with Adam Matthew a, few, a number of weeks ago, probably a few months ago, and I said, I want you to prayerfully consider being the point person for our life group ministry. And so you're going to hear from Adam as he talks about the life group ministry. Yes, he's still going to oversee the student ministry, but, but yet he also believes that God can use him in a way to help our life group ministry continue to move forward. And so you'll hear from him, and and some of you will be getting a phone call about seeing if you're interested in leading one of these great life groups. It's because it's in the midst of these relationships, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. It's there where we can exemplify Jesus Christ, and in the process, worship him all the more. We respond, we exemplify, and then... We serve. We serve. Notice what Paul says almost immediately as he goes into this beautiful section of Scripture. He says this, verse 6, Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of God a servant. Paul almost immediately goes to this characteristic of Jesus Christ as a servant, and he says, when, in essence, as we serve, we then are worshiping. The Lord gives each and every one of us different gifts. Servanthood is one of the core values that we hold dearly here at this church. And if you have a passion, hear me on this, if you have a passion for something, We want to do all that we can to help you accomplish living out that passion. I've talked about this before. We're looking for bold, audacious dreams. And some of you have them, and some of you believe that God wants to do something bold and audacious in your life, but you're not quite sure how to go about doing it. We invite you to share that because that's your your place of service. Talk to anyone in the church who is serving. Talk to the children's ministry volunteers who serve valiantly. Talk to them, and you'll hear story after story after story how how they're not doing it because they didn't have anything better to do. They're not doing it so that they could get a whole lot of accolades. They're doing it because God has called them, he's equipped them, and in the process of them serving, what ends up happening? their life has radically changed. Talk to people who serve in them on, this, on this worship band. They're not doing it to get accolades. They're doing it to serve, and in the process, they're worshiping the Lord. 
when we get involved in service, whether it be at a PTO meeting, whether it be with our, with our children's sports teams or dance companies or whatever the case may be, or whether it be serving our family, one, one another, as we serve, we worship. I invite you this week, I invite you this week to serve. I invite you this week to serve and, and not looking for accolades, but realizing that in your service, you're worshiping the Lord. You can serve the Lord as you do the dishes. Think about that. You can serve the Lord as you fold laundry. And by the way, if you can ever figure out how to fold a fitted sheet, let me know. That in and of itself would be a worship experience. Anything and everything you do can be service. And as we serve, we worship. It involves responding, it involves exemplifying, it involves serving, and of course, worship always, always, always involves praise. Always involves praise. But one of the things that strikes me as I was working on the message is this, is that so often we praise God for the good things that are going on in our lives, and, and we say, you know, we'll get around to worshiping you when, we, when truly good things happen in our lives, and what ends up happening is one good thing happens, and then it's a while before something else good happens. So what do we do in that gap there? Does it mean that we only worship when the good happens, and, and, and that's it? Biblically speaking, we worship no matter, good, no matter if good is happening or bad is happening. One of the favorite books of the Bible that many people have is the book of Psalms. I invite you now to look at Psalm 142 and you'll see what I'm getting at here. Because Paul, as he's writing these words, I want you to consider this. This powerful scripture that we look at in Philippians chapter 2 is so magnificent. And we forget this. Paul wrote those words while he was in a prison cell. Not exactly sitting on a beach enjoying a sunset. He was in a prison cell when he writes these words. And listen to what the psalmist writes in 142. I cry aloud to Yahweh. I lift up my voice to Yahweh for mercy. I pour out my before him my complaint. Before him, I tell him my trouble. When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who watch over my way. In the path where I walk, people have hidden a snare for me. Look and see. Listen to this line. Look and see. There is no one at my right hand. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. This psalmist is in a bad place. You ever been there? Where you think that no one cares? Where you think that every time you make a step, somebody's trying to trap you, somebody's trying to trip you up? That's where the psalmist is. And he says this in verse 5. I cry to you, Yahweh. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. 
Listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Set me free from my prison, that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because, and notice this, because of your goodness to me. We praise God, we worship God, no matter if it's good, it's bad in our lives, or it's ugly. Life is going to throw us a whole lot of stuff. And we get to praise our God because when we think no one cares, He still does. He still cares. And worship also involves obedience. I invite you to look again back at this passage. We look at verse 8 of Philippians chapter 2 and listen to what Paul writes here. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Obedience. As we obey the Lord, we are bending the knee and confessing with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. Obedience is not glamorous at times. It simply isn't. We forgive because we're called to forgive. We are generous because God is generous. We love those who are difficult to love because God loves us who, believe it or not, can be difficult to love. We serve because he served. We obey, knowing that as we obey him, it is the best possible way to live. Obedience isn't very glamorous. Obedience led Jesus Christ to the cross to suffer a brutal death. But without that obedience, there can be no glorious, empty tomb on the third day it's through obedience that we worship God as well and worship always happens in the now let me say that again worship happens in the now what do I mean by that let me give you a little math example here there are 168 hours in every single week, no more, no less. We're tempted to think, we're tempted to think that our entire worship experience involves the 75 minutes or so that we're gathered together on a Sunday morning. Some of you right now are going, well, John, if you continue to preach long, service, long sermons, it's more like 90 minutes. Give me a break. 75 minutes is what we're going to go with. 75 minutes. And let me ask you this question. If the entirety of our understanding of worship is confined to 75 minutes a week, then what are we doing with the remaining 10,005 minutes in the week? Worship is always in the now. And if we only worship him for 75 minutes in a week, let's, that, that is less than 1% of the entire week. We worship him wherever we are, whatever we're doing. 
That's when we worship. No matter what you're doing, you can worship God. No matter where you are, you can worship God. And some of you are, are, are taking me literally on this. Well, we confess with our mouth and, and, and bend our knee. What happens if I'm driving? Do you want me to bend down at that point? No. That's not what I'm talking about. But what I'm saying is we worship whatever's going on in our lives. We worship him in the now. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 21 says this, and I find this a fascinating, fascinating statement. It says this, By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons, and notice the next line, listen to this next line, and worshiped as he leaned on the top of his staff. Notice, he wasn't in a sanctuary, he wasn't in a temple. He was at home with his family, worshiping there. It says that he worshiped as he leaned on his step. I invite you this week to worship wherever you are. Yes, gather with us on Sunday morning. There's something about coming together on a Sunday morning where there's this richness. And I got to tell you that singing How Great Thou Art together this morning, wow. I'm tempted to sing a cappella right now because it was just a great song. But my point is, we can sing out how great thou art, wherever we are, whatever's going on. God of wonders. And here's the other thing. Worship is more than singing. It's, it's all that we do. So we sing, we, we, we experience all of life in the now, we worship him in the now, and something happens as we worship him throughout all of our lives. We are strengthened. We are strengthened. As we respond to who he is, we're strengthened by who he is. On the cross, Jesus Christ quotes from Psalm 22 these words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus Christ was experiencing the most intense death that anyone had ever experienced or will ever experience. And for the first time in his eternal existence, all of a sudden he's, he's experiencing this forsakenness. It shook him to the core. But remember, he remained obedient. And there are these words that are further down in Psalm 22, and perhaps Jesus Christ was reflecting on these words after he stated that opening verse in Psalm 22. And in verse 20 or so in that area, it says this, But you, Yahweh, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Perhaps at that point, it's when Jesus Christ said, It is finished. We don't know what was going through his mind at that time. But we know that as he worshiped, he was strengthened. In World War II, in the midst of World War II, Corey and Betsy Tenboom lived in a room that was, that was packed not only with women, but it was also packed with all types of fleas. To say that they lived in miserable conditions would be a massive understatement. It was horrific what they lived in. The fleas were so bad that Carrie Timboom told her sister Betsy one day that there would never be a day that she was thankful for fleas. They did all these Bible studies. They had worship service in this room in, in which all these women were gathered. 
And more and more women attended each, attended these studies and these worship services. More and more women continued to be added into that room and, and wanted to be a part of this Bible study and about a part of this worship service. And as they continued these, these Bible studies and these worship services in this packed room, not only with, packed with women, but packed with fleas, Betsy noticed that the guards never interrupted them. Betsy noticed that the guards went to all these other rooms and made life miserable, more miserable for those people, but the guards never came into that room. The conditions were horrible, and as they continued worshiping in those horrible conditions, they found strength to keep going. And the guards never interrupted them. The guards never interrupted them because the guards didn't want to get bit by fleas. In the midst of their horrible situation, they worshiped God, and God even used fleas to continue to strengthen them and keep them going. Whatever's going on in your life right now, it could be horrible. But in the midst of that, my, my, my invitation to you is to worship God in the midst of it. Yes, you may very well feel forsaken, but know this, Jesus Christ experienced that forsakenness so you wouldn't have to, so he can be right there in the midst of your life. So worship and, and, and confessing with our mouth and, and, and bending the knee and confessing him as Lord has all these different things. And here's the last one. It's eternal. There are many activities that we do in, in all of our lives. And they're important. Yet, the only action that will happen for eternity and be eternal is worship. Worship. Confessing with the mouth, bending the knee. Worship. And, and it's what we're going to do for eternity. Those who place their trust in Christ. It's what we're going to do. And every time I share that simple thing, because people will just say, hey, what do, you think, what do you think heaven's going to be like? My response is, we get to worship all the time. Here's the response I get from people. That's all we're going to do? Really? Sounds sort of boring after a little while, don't you think? Here's a rather significant fact about worshiping the Lord that I think should resonate with every single one of us in this room. Worshiping the Lord is not about you. It's not. It's not about me. It's about worshiping the one who came to this earth, died on a cross, rose from the dead to give you and I forgiveness of sin, purpose in life, hope 
when we are in what looks to be a hopeless situation, a love that goes deeper than our deepest pain, a strength that gives that comes alongside us when we simply can't go on. We're tempted to think, we're tempted to think that 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 worship is boring because it's all about us. I didn't like the music today. I didn't like the message today. I didn't like this. I didn't like that. Worship's not about you. It's not about me. It's about Jesus Christ. It's about all that he's done. And when people tell me that they think it's going to be boring, I invite them to read from Revelation 21. And we hear these words. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. No more pain, no more tears, no more death. God dwells with us and us with him. Everything is new. Our thirst is quenched. Please convince me how that's going to be boring. We respond because he has done it all. We worship him more than just 75 minutes a week. We worship him with all that we do, with all that we say, with how we interact with one another, with how we serve. We worship him. Our one response is all about worship because the one we worship is worthy to receive all worship. He responded to our need when no one else would. He lived an exemplary life that no one had ever lived before him or since him. He served rather than being served. He praised in the midst of all that life threw at him. He obeyed to the point of dying a horrific death on a cross. He understands completely what is going on now in our lives because he has experienced all of life. He was strong in the midst of the greatest struggles a person had ever seen. He is the way to eternal life because he conquered all. Therefore, we confess with our mouth, we bend our knee and believing that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's the one we worship. It's our one response. No matter what's going on in our lives, we worship him in spirit and in truth. Everyone, everyone you meet 
is worshiping something or someone? Are you worshiping the one who gave his all for you? What is your one response to all that the Lord has done in amazing ways? I invite the worship team to come up and I'm gonna take a few moments simply to be quiet. And I invite you to bow your head and simply reflect on these words. Reflect on what your one response is right now. And after a few moments, I'll pray. Oh, Father, we confess in this quietness that we've so limited our understanding of worship. We confess that we've made it much more about us than it is about you. We confess to you that oftentimes we're worshiping someone or something else that is only taking from us and does not have our best interest in mind. We confess that we're conditional in our worship, that we'll praise you and worship you when things are going really well in our lives. And yet all the other times, we don't give you a second thought. We confess that we oftentimes get caught up in thinking that we don't need to serve, that it needs to be somebody else's job. And in the process, we end up forfeiting a worship experience. Lord, we confess that obedience is a word that so often doesn't sit well with us because we think we know best what we can do and therefore we say, we're gonna go our own way, Lord, and disobey you. Father, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us for not turning to you in the midst of all that's going on in our lives. Have mercy on us for not worshiping you in spirit and in truth and in the process of not worshiping you. We don't have the strength to keep going. Father, we ask that you would invade our lives in such a way that we can't help but realize that Jesus Christ is worthy of all our worship every day, every moment, no matter what time it is. Lord Jesus, we worship you. We exalt you. And Lord, we bend our knee and confess with our mouth that you, Lord Jesus, and you alone our Lord and Savior.
may we have a greater understanding of how significant our one response is and that we would respond every day to how magnificent you truly are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing.